Let us remain in worship this morning as we turn in our Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. And we will be looking at verses 28 through 38. Acts 20, verses 28 through 38. Please now give your attention to the reading of God's word. The Apostle Paul, speaking to the elders, says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel, You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my needs, my necessities, and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful. Most of all, because of the words he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word. In our study through Acts chapter 20, I've sought to show you that every word should be seen through the lenses of verse 28, which is the heart of it all, not only of Acts 20, but of the entire Christian life, the explanation concerning the existence of the church, the effectiveness of the church, and the growth of the church is Christ and his blood. For with that blood, he accomplished something. He obtained the church. He obtained the church. Everything we are as the people of God, we owe it to the blood of Jesus Christ our Lord. No blood no blessings whatsoever. And we have looked at several of these blessings which Jesus secured with his blood. We saw, for example, that nothing but the blood can guarantee the success of Christian missions. What do we mean by that? Jesus will get what he paid for. Secondly, we saw that nothing but the blood can create true unity among God's people. His blood has made us how many bodies? One body, one body. We saw next that nothing but the blood can actualize spiritual conversion. His cross, his blood secured the blessings of repentance and faith. Next, we saw that nothing but the blood can redefine the purpose of our lives. Saul became Paul because of the blood. And finally, we saw that nothing but the blood can effectually bring us to God, because of the blood, we have 
peace with God. Precious blessings given to us by the precious blood of Jesus. This morning we will finish our study of Acts chapter 20 by looking at two more achievements of the blood. And the first one has to do with leadership in the church. Leadership in the church. And here it is. Nothing but the blood can account for the role of elders. Nothing but the blood can account, can explain why elders exist. Now the context of our passage is Paul's farewell speech. He is in a city called Miletus. His third missionary journey is coming to an end. And his eyes are set on Jerusalem. And ultimately, Rome, the capital of the Roman Empire. And we will get there as we start next week in chapter 21. But as he begins his last part of his journey, he wanted to address the elders who were over the churches in Ephesus one more time. He knew these men very well, having spent well over two years with them in the city of Ephesus. They had a very special place in his heart. He loved these elders in Ephesus. Paul also knew that this would be their last time together. They would not see each other ever again. Therefore, what Paul says to these elders is very intimate, is very relevant, and is very insightful. He knows these elders will be faced with tremendous challenges ahead, and he wants them to be ready. So as we go through the first part of this sermon, we'll be answering this single question. What is an elder? Paying a special attention to their calling, their gifting, and their character. After each sub-point, I will provide ways for you to pray for your elders here at GCC in order to seek to make this practical for us as well. So let's consider their calling first. Their calling. What do we learn about their calling? The first thing is this. Elders are sovereignly appointed to their role. Elders are sovereignly appointed to their role. This is the place to begin. How are elders made? How are elders made? Notice what Paul says in verse 28. The Spirit has done what? He has made you. Did you hear that? The Spirit has made you overseers. Now, the word overseer is just another term that refers to elders or pastors. We use them interchangeably. Elders oversee or elders pastor, they shepherd the minister, ministry, meaning they, they exercise leadership. But more importantly, it is the Spirit of God who calls men to this role. They are not self-appointed. They are not self-appointed. Briefly, notice three things with me. First, notice the Spirit's personality. The Spirit is not an impersonal energy. Rather, the Spirit is a He and he has a will of his own. He acts. He is the third person of the Trinity. Second, notice the Spirit's sovereignty. The Holy Spirit is not a lesser deity. He is God, and he has the power to make men elders. He is the one who sets them apart and equips them for this particular 
work. And third, notice the Spirit's ecclesiastical authority. His ecclesiastical authority. He makes determinations over the church. He has authority over the church, and nothing has changed. It is the same Holy Spirit who calls men into the ministry today. We could say this about the Holy Spirit. He actualizes in time and space. He actualizes, he makes a reality in time and space what Jesus secured with his blood. What Jesus obtained with his blood, what Jesus secured with his blood, the Spirit is the one who actualizes that in time and space. So the Holy Spirit calls, he equips, and he organizes the church on the basis of the work of the Lord Jesus on the cross. The Holy Spirit applies the work of redemption in its entirety. Once again, we see here that everything concerning redemption is done in perfect harmony among the three persons of the Trinity. And just like the Father and just like the Son, the Holy Spirit will not fail in his mission. Now let's ask a more specific question. How does the Spirit of God call men into the ministry of eldership? How does the Spirit make men elders? As a general rule, and as we know from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Spirit empowers every ministry of the church. He sovereignly organizes the body. It is his prerogative. When it comes to the calling of elders, the Spirit grants three things in particular. Let us consider the first one, desire, desire. First Timothy chapter 3 verse 1 says, if one aspires to the office of overseer, the word aspire can also be translated as longing or even craving, craving. So the work of being an elder must be longed for, deeply desired. But since it is the Spirit who makes men elders, He is the one who gives the desire. It comes from Him. It is not a self-induced desire, but a Spirit-wrought desire to be an overseer or an elder. He implants in them that desire. But how do we know that a desire is from the Spirit? Well, because the desire, if it is from the Spirit, will always be accompanied by two other things, gifting and character, gifting and character, both of which are also the Spirit's work. Remember, the Spirit makes men overseers. They're not self-made. It is the Spirit who makes men overseers. They are not self-made. Now, what can we say about their gifting and their character? Much can be said about that. But before we get there, here's the first way for you to pray for your elders right here, right now. Pray for a renewed sense of gratitude. As you think of your elders, as you pray for your elders, pray for them that they will have a renewed sense of gratitude. Since elders are freely called by the Spirit into this ministry, ask the Lord to fill your elders with thanksgiving. May the elders never fail to see it as a privilege granted to them by the Spirit's grace and won for them by the Lord's blood. Now let's talk for a moment about their gifting. 
what is the elder called to do? So let's, let's move on to the, their gifting. Number one, elders are humble stewards of God's treasured possession. Elders are humble stewards of God's treasured possession. Consider once again verse 28. Paul said to the elders, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To what? Do what? Care. To care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Now with, with these words, Paul wanted to leave an indelible mark upon their hearts and their minds. And he makes a general statement to the elders. He said, you are to care for the church of God. You are to care for the church of God. They are stewards. But the strength of Paul's words to these elders of Ephesus lies in his appeal to God's holy, all-consuming, exclusive love for his chosen people. Now, the Old Testament makes it very clear that God has always wanted a people for himself. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 43. Isaiah, chapter 43. And I want us to consider the words in verses 1 through 4. Isaiah 43, 1 through 4. In fact, we already alluded to these words in our singing together. You will remember them. You're about to hear God's own thoughts concerning his love for his covenant people, Israel, in contrast with other nations, other nations. This is as direct as it gets. Isaiah 43, 1 through 4. But now says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you, how? By name. You are whose? You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, Listen to this, I give Egypt as your ransom. Did you hear that? I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you, I give men in return for you, peoples, in exchange for your life. How did God demonstrate his love for Israel? He destroyed other nations in order to bring Israel to himself. God gave other nations up to their sin in exchange for Israel. Talk about electing love. Electing love. As William Gurnall said in his own inimitable way, he said this, quote, God ripped open the very womb of Egypt to save the life of Israel, his child, end quote. What a statement. God ripped open the womb of Egypt to save his child. God loved Israel, therefore God saved Israel even at the expense of other nations. 
What does this have to do with elders in, in Acts chapter 20, verse 28? Paul wants the elders to really sense the weight of their calling. So he appeals to the greatest reality of all, God's love for his church. The point being this, if God's love for Israel in the Old Testament was demonstrated in that he willingly destroyed other nations for the sake of Israel, what can we say about God's love for his church as demonstrated in that he willingly crushed not other nations, but his own dear son for her? We can say this, there is no greater love. There is no greater love. God did not obtain the church by destroying other nations, but by crushing his own son on the cross of humiliation. How much does he love us? How much does he love the church? And to the elders of the church in Ephesus, Paul says, you are called to care for that church. The one that God himself obtained with the blood of his own dear son. The church is precious to him. So basically Paul is saying to them, you do not want to mess this up. Therefore, eldership is not an ownership, but a stewardship. Eldership is not an ownership, but a stewardship. It is a human stewardship based on God's ownership. And how important is this stewardship? Well, how about this? The importance of the role of the elder is proportional to the value God ascribes to the church. Is that high enough? Let me repeat that again. The importance of the role of the elder is proportional to the value God ascribes to his church. How much value does God ascribe to his church? We have said this over and over again. What did he pay for her? The blood of his son. Elders exist within the life of the local church because the church matters to God to the point of death, even the death of his own son. You cannot add any more weight to the responsibility of an elder. At this juncture, I want to start thinking about the task of the elder with more specificity. Paul tells the elders to care for God's church. What does that mean to care? What does the stewardship look like? The word care is a very broad term, as I already mentioned. To care means to shepherd, which also means to pastor, to pastor. To care means to shepherd, which also means to pastor. And when you think of shepherding a flock, the word can involve many, many duties, right? Many responsibilities. Shepherding sheep can mean providing direction, leading them to water and pastures, offering shelter, granting protection from predators, healing them, etc. Likewise, Paul says to the Ephesian elders, shepherd, care for the church of God. But how? Is there anything more specific? Yes. Paul is about to address this in verses 29 through 31. But before we get there, consider how you can pray for your elders once again. Based on God's ownership of the church, how can you pray for your elders? Here it is. Pray for a greater endowment of godly fear. If you, ever, if you ever think of me individually in your prayers, you can always pray that for me. 
And you can always include all the elders in this. Pray for a greater endowment of godly fear. You want the men who lead you to fear God. And to know that their calling is to handle something that is precious to him. As demonstrated beyond a shadow of doubt by the blood that was shed on Calvary's cross. But you must pray for them. In fact, here's a good ratio for you to keep in mind. For every one complaint that you may have against your elders, make sure you offer at least two prayers for them. Two prayers for them. We can double that, right? One and four. That'll be even better. And you can never go wrong with this prayer request. That your elders will be men who remember whose church they serve and the prize with which it was obtained. Fear of God. May they operate always in godly fear. Now, as we enter verses 29 to 31, Paul gets a bit more specific as to what this stewardship of the church will look like for elders. So consider what's next. Elders are courageous shepherds who lead with the truth. Elders are courageous shepherds who lead with the truth. Let us read verses 29 through 31. I know that after my departure, says Paul, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. So verses 29 through 31 are an explanation of what caring for the church means. This stewardship can, of course, involve many aspects. But here Paul addresses one essential issue. What is the background of this? Well, of course, the Old Testament. Israel also had shepherds, men assigned to the care of Israel. Who were these men? The leaders of Israel, often kings, governors, and prophets. In Ezekiel 34, God literally calls these, these men shepherds because they were supposed to lead Israel in accordance with the truth of God's revealed word. But many of them became corrupt and they misled the people into sin by failing to speak and defend the truth. So God says in Ezekiel 34 verse 10, behold, this is God speaking about the shepherds of Israel. Behold, I am against the shepherds. Oh, you, you, don't, you don't ever want to hear that. I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths. In Acts 20, Paul likewise uses two words that evoke the idea of a shepherd, wolves and flock. The main role of the shepherd, says Paul, with regard to the flock is to keep the wolves away because they will come from both the outside and even from the inside. Now, in connection to this, let me make a statement here. Some of the most important and most valuable lessons that I have learned in my ministry have come from leaders who have sought to be faithful to the word. Who have sought to be faithful to the word. And let me tell you that many of those lessons I've learned here at this church. Because you have elders who love the word. You have elders who love the word. 
On the other hand, and equally as true, and here I'm thinking primarily of my previous churches, some of the most difficult moments I've ever experienced in ministry, almost without exception, involved leaders in the church who were eager to lead, but without fidelity to God's word. And I can say this, nothing is more dangerous to a church than leaders who make up their own rules, who forget that they themselves are under authority, the authority of Jesus and his word. Praise God. Praise God, GCC, that you don't have to worry about that here. That your elders are seeking to follow Christ and operate as men under authority. All the men here, all the elders here are committed to fidelity to the word. And as long as, as this is true, you have almost an indestructible group of elders. An almost indestructible group of elders. The dangerous man is the one who goes around making up his own rules. You remember the story that I've told you before? How I had a conversation uh, at a church somewhere else. You don't need to know where. Far from here. And I had a conversation with a leader, one of the main leaders of the church. Some of you remember the story. I sat down in my office, and he sat me down. And looking into my eyes, he said, Jonathan, Jonathan, here is your problem. Here's what's wrong with you. You pay too much attention to the Bible. I am not making this up. I wish I was. This is literally what he said, a leader of the church who said, you, your problem is that you pay too much attention to the Bible. And I knew at that moment that I was speaking with a man who was standing on a different foundation. A different foundation. It is okay for leaders of a church to disagree as long as they remain committed to the word. But when a man says, I'm no longer committed to the word, we have a problem. We have a problem. At that point, they become wolves and they become fierce. Notice Paul's strange qualification there. Fierce wolves. When talking about wolves, do we really need to add the word fierce? Is that necessary? Wouldn't it suffice to just say wolves? If you see a pack of wolves, you don't ask yourself, I wonder which one of those is fierce. If you see a pack of wolves, you just run because in your mind they're all fierce. Why would Paul see the need to add that little qualifier there? Well, verse 29 helps us with, with that. Their fears, fierceness has to do with what they do. He says that these wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock. Interestingly, the word fierce can also mean unsparingly or unsparing. Literally, Paul says, these false teachers will be unsparing, which means merciless. Merciless. They will not care about the damage they will inflict upon the church because their motives are selfish. They are not true shepherds. They are false. On biblical doctrine, they will damage the souls of men and women. And we know this because of verse 30. Their fierceness will be sin, seen in their destructive speech. Destructive speech is not necessarily their attitude, but their speech, what they speak. They will speak twisted things. That gives us a clue as to what this is about, right? 
In fact, it reveals what caring for the church looks like, at least in part. If wolves express their fierceness by speaking twisted things, then the elder must express his faithfulness by speaking straight. By speaking straight. Orthodoxy. Orthodox, right doctrine. Right doctrine. It is interesting that Paul could have gone in several directions here. This is his last time seeing the elders. Last time. He will not see them again. But he chose to focus on the importance of speaking truth, sound doctrine. And to do so with courage. Because those who oppose will do so fiercely. The magnification of the word of God is the hallmark, the distinctive feature of a faithful elder. Consider the Lord Jesus himself. He called himself the good shepherd. Jesus is the true elder. And as the good shepherd, what did the Lord do? He gave his life for the sheep, correct? He gave his life for the sheep. But notice that instrumental in his death was the fact that he spoke what? The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. For that reason, the false shepherds of Israel hated Jesus and had him, what? Killed. But how did Jesus protect his sheep? He willingly died in order to vindicate the truth that he spoke. He took the truth all the way to the cross. He took the truth all the way to the cross. So what is the role of an elder primarily? To be faithful to what is written. And like Jesus, to be willing even to suffer for the sake of the truth and the good of the sheep. A faithful elder would rather suffer for the sake of the truth and the good of the sheep than to cruise along in his ministry, let corruption come in, and let the sheep die because they have no true spiritual food. In light of this, what can you do for your elders? Pray for a stronger zeal for biblical truth. Pray for a stronger zeal for biblical truth. Remember Paul's temptation at Corinth? According to Acts 18, remember what happened to Paul? Remember how the Lord Jesus encouraged Paul with these words, do not be afraid, but go on doing what? Speaking. And do not be what? Silent. Silent. When it comes to biblical truth, when it comes to biblical truth, silence is the silent killer. When it comes to biblical truth, silence is the silent killer. And the ones most tempted to silence are the ones charged with speaking, teaching, and preaching. So pray for your elders. Pray for us that no spirit of fear will ever overwhelm us, but that we will be bold for the sake of the truth, for the good of the church, and for the glory of Jesus Christ. So we have looked at the calling of elders briefly and the gifting of the elders briefly. Now let us look at the next big thing, their character. Their character. And we begin here. Elders are submissive leaders who understand their own need. 
Elders are submissive leaders who understand their own need. Verse 32, Paul says to the elders, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Remember also how Paul begins in verse 28. What is the first thing he tells them in verse 28? Pay careful attention to who? Yourselves. Yourselves. Before an elder can care for others, he must learn to shepherd his own heart. Before an elder can care for others, he must learn to shepherd his own heart. Where am I getting this from? Right there in verse 32. Paul commends the elders to God and his word because they themselves need to be built up first. They need to be built up first. The elders are not men who have reached exemption from the need to grow in sanctification. On the contrary, they should be the ones with a greater awareness of their own need to continue to grow, and they should pursue that growth more so than those around them. If an elder stops growing in sanctification, what can you expect of the people under him? So what can you do? How can you pray for your elders? Pray for a deeper awareness of spiritual dependence. We need even greater sense of dependence as elders. Pray that your elders will pursue love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And that they will pursue these things in themselves before they pursue them in others. So I hope that all of us are beginning to see the high calling of elders. And next, next, elders are self-controlled men who imitate Christ's benevolence. Elders are self-controlled men who imitate Christ's, Christ's benevolence. Notice verses 33 through 35, Paul says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know how these hands minister to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Elders ought to be self-controlled rather than controlled by something outside. In this case, Paul speaks of money and possessions. The Bible has much to say about the love of money and the dangers associated with it. In fact, so dangerous can the love of money be that the Bible speaks of it in an almost personified way by calling it mammon. You cannot serve God and mammon, says the Gospel of Luke. Right after saying that, Luke tells us in his Gospel that the Pharisees, who were supposed to be the shepherds of Israel, were in fact lovers of money. So they actually ridiculed Jesus for his teaching. Paul knew the destructive nature of the love of money. So here, as the apostle says goodbye to these elders, he reminds them of their duty to remain free from the love of money and possessions and to fight this love for money by being generous. And he illustrates that by setting his own life as an example. He worked hard. He met his own needs. He never coveted anyone's possessions. And he lived by the principle taught by Jesus, which says it is better to give than to receive. That's a paraphrase not only of Jesus' words, but of his entire life. 
Jesus gave himself up for us entirely. He loved us to the point of death on the cross. So how can you pray for your elders? Pray for a growing desire to imitate Christ's generosity. Pray for a growing desire to imitate Christ's generosity. Now, before we address the last point, did you notice something about all those ways to pray for your elders? They have something in common. They are not elder exclusive. Did you see that? All Christians should and all Christians must pray those requests for themselves. Think of one that doesn't apply to you. None of them. Elders are held to these things in a greater measure due to their leadership role, but no Christian can think of himself as being off the hook. So as you pray for your elders, be sure to pray these for yourself as well. And lastly, consider with me how nothing but the blood can forge our bond of love. Let us read verses 36 through 38. And when he, when Paul had said these things to the elders, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was, there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. The Christian bond is a bond of love forged in blood. The Lord Jesus endured the curse of sin so that we could have the blessing of love and fellowship. These people were not technically blood relatives, but at the same time they were brought together by one and the same blood, the blood of Jesus. So they prayed and they cried. They knew their bond to be transcendent, greater and deeper than anything that can come through any human association or relationship. They were one with and in Christ. Blood was shed for their redemption. The prayers and the tears of these brothers as they parted ways simply demonstrates the profound nature of Christian unity. Christian unity. Paul had become their teacher, and not just their teacher, but he taught them the meaning of all of life by explaining to them what Christ had done for them through the blood. Now they saw their individual lives in light of Jesus, their marriages in light of Jesus, their families in light of Jesus, their occupations in light of Jesus. In short, through the ministry of Paul, these elders, everything changed for them. Just a few years prior, these men had been trapped in darkness, idolatry, and even dark magic. Now they were new creatures in Christ, saved by the same blood that had saved Paul. Thousands of years later, here we are sharing the same story. Like them, we too have a bond that cannot be broken. You and I have been redeemed by the same blood. I don't care what you look like, what your occupation is, what you sound or look like, what color your skin is. It took the same blood from the same Savior 
upon the same cross, dying the same death to save you and to save me. Can you think of anything greater for us to have in common? Can you think of anything greater for us to have in common? We are all saved by the same blood, the same Savior, the same death. Nothing else matters. When we forget our commonality in the blood of Jesus, we do so to our own spiritual detriment. We cannot afford to forget that we are sinners saved by grace and by blood. So let us never forget that we were bought with a price, a price of precious blood. Only as we keep our eyes upon that dying man on Calvary will we be a people of peace, unity, love, and hope. We have nothing else but only the blood of the Lamb shed for us. Let us pray together. Father, thank you for this. Once again, we are reminded of how much we need to think of the blood, to think of the price paid for us. For it is when we forget the blood that we run into all sorts of troubles due to sin. So help us to be a people who are constantly mindful of the cross. For this is what we have in common. Just like those elders of Ephesus and Paul. They were born in different places. They had different backgrounds. Those men had been trapped in darkness, witchcraft, dark magic, and yet they came to understand that they were saved by the same blood that had saved the Apostle Paul. And so help us today to have the same commonality, to remember that at the end of the day, we are all sinners saved by the same blood. So help us never to lose sight of the one who died for us on the cross. And we pray these things in his precious name. Amen.